A blessed Good Friday to everybody. And we are going to begin our service with a hymn of giving glory to God. Number 52, verse 1 of To God Be the Glory. And we invite you to stand together as we sing and give God thanks and praise for the gift of His Son Jesus who died to pay the debt in full for our sins. To God be the glory, number 52. All together now. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So Father, we come today to rejoice and to give you praise for the great things you have done. We have already followed your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, during the last seven days of his life. And we saw the pivotal points that occurred during those momentous days. We've come now to focus on Friday, that day when Jesus Christ took upon himself the penalty for the sins of the world. What an awesome event that was. What a mysterious event that was. When Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Son of God, became the substitute for all the sinners of the world. Lord, we cannot understand that tremendous transaction but we believe it because you told us that it happened. And we come today, our Father, to focus on that event and all of the pain and suffering that he had to undergo because of our sin. And we come with grateful hearts. We come with hearts full with praise and thanksgiving for your grace that motivated you to send him to become our Savior. But Father, even as we reflect upon the sufferings of our Savior today, we know that the grave did not keep him in. 
we know that it could not contain him because on the third day he rose again from the dead and he lives now forevermore to reign in our hearts and one day he'll come back to reign over the kingdoms of this world as well. So we thank you, O Father, that even though we look upon this day as a dark day, even though we call it Good Friday, we thank you, our Father, that we don't have to stay at the tomb because as we've said before in the past, this is Friday, but Sunday is coming. And we look forward to that glorious day when we once again will be able to focus upon the majestic beauty of the Son of God who loved us, gave himself for us, and then rose again from the dead to live forever with us within our hearts. Help us, we pray, as we go through this time together to really worship you today, to really focus upon you today, and to really to give you the honor and the praise that is due to your name. And all of God's people said, Amen.
It is approximately 8 a.m., Friday, approximately 33 A.D. The place is the Via Dolorosa, Jerusalem. Jesus is on the way to Golgotha, a place that is also called Calvary, the place of the skull. This, my friends, is the day that Jesus died, the day that he died for you, the day that he died for me. Matthew, in writing about this, says in chapter 27, verse 31 of his gospel, after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Jesus was on his way to Calvary. The city was Jerusalem The time was long ago The people called him Jesus The crime was the love he showed And I'm the one I caused all his pain He gave himself The day he wore my crown He brought me love that only to cry and though he taught me how to live I taught him how to die and I'm the one to blame I cost all his Gave himself the day he wore my crown. He could have called his holy father and said, Take me away. I'm not gonna stay Then on up the hill 
And as he fell beneath that wave, he cried, Father, not my will, and I'm the one to blame. I caused all his pain. He gave himself the day he wore my remarkable physical strength and stamina of Jesus Christ must be wondered at. The first step in the crucifixion process was flogging or scourging with a leather thong weighted down with steel tips. It was so harshly administered that many actually died under the excruciating pain and physical abuse. It was for this reason to assure crucifixion that they might live to die only 39 of the required 40 strokes would be administered. This left the person with gaping wounds in his back and to the very point of death. This was Jesus' condition when they placed a heavy wooden cross upon his shoulders. Some scholars have estimated that the cross was made out of 8 by 4 lumber and weighed about 150 pounds. Simon of Cyrene is recruited to carry the cross as a physically weakened Jesus finally falls below the load. But Jesus had even a greater load to bear, not just a physical load, but he had a spiritual load as well. He had the weight of the cross, but he also had the weight of your sin and my sin. Every crime against humanity, every genocide, every unspeakable act of oppression and tyranny, every act of terrorism, every starving nation ignored, every drop of martyred blood, every orphan and widow abandoned, every stranger in need passed by, every deviant and perverse lifestyle, every marriage torn asunder, every word uttered in hate, every injustice, every theft, every grudge, every bitterness, 
every lust, every fear, every lie, every doubt, every one. Mark 15:22 says they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull his cross along with those of the two thieves were laid on the ground then Mark says they offered him wine mixed with myrrh but he did not take it this mixture was actually a narcotic type of drink used to help deaden the pain of the spikes being nailed into the hands and feet to secure the victim to the cross Jesus refused to drink this drink why perhaps it was because he wanted to taste death as the scripture says in all its fullness not with deadened senses after all Jesus was tasting death for you and for me and for all mankind then men who were trained in the art of death with strong accurate blows from a wooden mallet meticulously efficiently and mechanically drove iron spikes first into his hands then into his crossed feet nailing him securely to the cross that now branded him as one cursed of god for as it is written cursed is the one who hangs on a tree He saved others they said but he cannot save himself But next using the ropes his executioners hoisted his cross erect causing him to experience excruciating pain as the cross falls with a thud into two or the three foot hole that was dug into the earth to keep it upright Mark records it in this fashion and they crucified him dividing up his clothes they cast lots to see what each would get it was 9 in the morning when they crucified him the written notice of the charge against him read the king of the jews they crucified two rebels with him one on his right and one on his left those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in 3 days come down from the cross and save yourself in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves he saved others they said but he can't save himself let this messiah this king of israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe those crucified with him also heaped insults on him now of course jesus could have come down until 3 and he could not have come down he could have come down because he had the power to do so you remember when he was in gethsemane 
Peter drew his sword and chopped off the ear of a guard. Jesus told him to put his sword away and then heal the soldier's ear. Then he told his disciples that he had 12 legions of angels waiting on the sidelines to do his bidding. How many angels is that? A legion consisted of 6,000 men. 12, leg 12 legions of angels, therefore, equal 72,000 angels. What could 72,000 angels do? Well, you remember that in 2 Kings chapter 19, it is recorded that one angel alone killed 185,000 men. This means that an army of 72,000 angels could wipe out more than 13 billion men at once if they wanted to. That's more than twice the world's population at this time. So Jesus was saying that he had enough angel power at his disposal to annihilate the entire human race at least six times over in his day. My friends, that's a lot of power. Jesus could have come down, but he could not have come down. Yes, he did have the power, I say, to come down from the cross. But in obedience to the Father's will, he subjected himself to the puny power of man so that he could die as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. In other words, he could not come down from the cross because of his love for you and for me. It was his love that held him there. of his seven words on the cross and they are not words of pain or anguish but they are words of forgiveness Luke 23 34 says Jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing and the Greek gives the idea that this is a repeated prayer on the lips of Jesus he kept on praying this father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing this, then, is the word of divine compassion, a plea for divine forgiveness. He prays for his enemies in fulfillment of prophecy. He prays for those who did not love him. What was the response to this prayer? Luke says they divided up his clothes by casting lots. But then Jesus speaks his second word to the thief, was asked to be remembered when he came into his kingdom. And again, Luke says, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of divine assurance, a promise of divine security, a promise to a thief who shows faith in Christ.
It's a promise to all who would do the same today. If you would turn to Christ in faith, he would forgive you and he would give you the assurance of being with him. But then Jesus speaks his third word to his mother and a disciple in John 19, verse 26, where John says, when Jesus saw his mother there and a disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of filial or family provision, a caring for family responsibility by the Son of God, even as he hangs on the cross to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind. His half-brothers were not yet believers. Joseph had apparently died. Jesus leaves his mother then in the care of a beloved disciple, the one who is called the beloved John, the only one of the men who stood with him at the cross. He knew that he would be, she would be cared for by a loving and compassionate disciple of his. These three words were all spoken in the, in the daylight and focused on others rather than Jesus himself. But then comes the ninth hour, 12 o'clock, high noon, and suddenly the saying changes. The heavens change. God's tur God turns out the light of the sun at its highest point. A deep, dense darkness covers the earth. And from the midst of that darkness, so thick that it could almost be felt, the loud voice, yea, the anguished cry of Jesus is heard. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of despair, the only word that is recorded in more than one of the Gospels. It is the cry of spiritually felt abandonment. It is the cry of divine filial separation. It is a cry of spiritually felt desolation. It's a cry to show that he was tasting death for every man, that he was tasting death for you and for me. It was a cry that no one can really comprehend. Jesus Christ was bearing the penalty of our sin, your sin, my sin, as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And that is what he was doing when he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the Lamb of God being offered for your sin and my sin. Behold the Lamb, behold the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, for sinners crucified, O holy sacrifice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani. Beloved, 
Behold the Lamb dying for you, dying for me. But then there is silence. A silence that leaves everyone to his own thoughts of what was happening on this faithful day we now call Good Friday. The day Jesus died for you and the day that he died for me. The Apostle John says in his record, Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. This is a word of need, physical need, motivated by physical anguish. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. This time, Jesus takes the drink. The true part of his suffering was finished. He states this fact in his sixth word on the cross, where John says, when he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. This is Jesus' word of victory. Actually, it's his shout of victory. It is his word of redemption. It is a cry of accomplishment. He uses the Greek word tetlestei. It is an accounting term, and the word means paid in full, and was written across a bill or statement of debt in large letters whenever the debt was settled. Paid in full. That's what Jesus said on the cross when he died for you and for me. Jesus knew that he had accomplished his father's will of paying the debt for man's sin. And it was paid in full. Absolutely, 100% taken care of completely. Nothing else need to be done. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, the debt for our sin completely, once for all. I say nothing else was needed or even now needs to be done. Jesus wants us to remember that today, the day we call Good Friday, the day that Jesus died for you and for me. He wants us to remember that it's paid, paid in full. It's finished, it's completed. Nothing else to do but to receive it. That's all. With that, Luke tells us, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I command my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This is the seventh and final word of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is a word of divine commitment. It is a prayer of filial trust and resignation where he puts himself once again in the Father's hand and to go with him, to be with him in glory. Jesus planned the exact time of his death to coincide with the exact time the Passover lamb was being sacrificed in the temple. The same time the Lamb of Atonement was being sacrificed in the temple, Jesus was being sacrificed on the cross. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he was our Passover lamb, sacrifice for us. Friends, listen carefully. Jesus did not die because his life was taken from him. He died because he gave his life up for us of his own free and omnipotent will. He died when he knew that his work for our redemption was completely and absolutely finished. I say again, the work was completed. It was finished. The debt for your sin and my sin 
was paid in full. It is finished. That is the cry of Good Friday. That's the cry we should all make today. It is finished. There's a line that is drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross a battle is raging. For the gain of man's soul, all is lost. On one side, march the forces of evil, all the demons and the devils of hell. On the other, the angels of glory, they meet on Golgotha's hill. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict. It refuses to shine For there hangs God's Son in the balance And then through the darkness He cries
Let's repeat that last line together. It is finished and Jesus is Lord. Let's do it again, but let's shout it this time, all right? It is finished and Jesus is Lord. Now the final three words of Jesus on the cross were all spoken in darkness and all of them focused on Jesus himself. Just as the first three words were all spoken in the light and focused on others. But now why did Jesus die? Matthew gives us an indication when he says, at that moment, what moment? That moment he cried, it is finished. Matthew says, at that moment, that precise moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Symbolically, this veil separated man from the Holy of Holies which symbolized the presence of God. No one could enter this foreboding place without the shed blood of a perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus cried, it is finished, that veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The Jewish historian Josephus says that this veil or curtain was 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 6 inches thick, and it probably weighed over 100 pounds. It was torn from the top down, showing that it was God who did it, not man. It symbolized that because Jesus had offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sin, access was now possible for the believer into the very presence of God. We could now worship and fellowship with the triune God directly and personally. No blood, as this song says, no altar now. The sacrifice is over. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more. But richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge the soul from sin and cleanse the reddest stains. This can now enter the holy of holies. We can come right into the presence of God and it is because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on Good Friday and when he cried out, when he shouted in a victorious way, it 
is finished. But the veil in the temple was not the only thing that was split when Jesus cried, it is finished. Matthew goes on to say, the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. In other words, they split also. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is one of the strangest events recorded in Scripture. I believe, though, that this strange phenomenon was the divine symbol of our own future resurrection, which is now guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that this was the way God was showing that, yes, this is Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Jesus cried. He was finished. Not only was the veil split, but the rocks were split, the tombs were split, and we had that glorious prophecy that one day he will come back and split the heavens and he'll take us up to be with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we'll go before the throne of God. Amen. So because he made the way for us to enter the Holy of Holies and he rose again on the third day, let's stand together as we sing. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory. 
Beloved, my heart is gladdened today. To me, this has been a wonderful service of worship. You know, when we study what worship is all about, someone has said that when we come to worship, there's only one person who is the observer, who should be observer, and that's God. The rest of us are participants. And when we finish, we should ask the question, was God pleased? Not whether or not I was pleased, but whether or not God was pleased. But I believe that if we please God, we will feel pleased also. Amen? But worship is the most wonderful <clears throat> experience that a true child of God can have. In fact, that is what we are to occupy ourselves with, worshiping God. And worshiping is always Godward. Whenever we point it towards that, it's not worship. That's why when we come to worship, we should really, as we did this morning, to focus on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And not how we feel and whether or not it was fun for us, but whether or not our God was satisfied. And I believe he was today. Amen? Because today is the day that we celebrate that Jesus died for you and for me. And what did he say on the cross? It is finished. And we can say, Jesus is Lord. Let's say it once again. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Amen. But as we say, today is Friday. Sunday is coming. Amen. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling and his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross and then they raise him up next to criminals it's Friday but let me tell you something Sunday's coming it's Friday the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. 
its pride. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can't nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered. And Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. One day, one day, he's coming back because we know that this is the day he died. And we're going to celebrate his resurrection in another couple days as we anticipate his return. Amen? Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn. One day, as we recount the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One ninety two, one ninety two in your hymn books, one ninety two. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to One day the grave could conceal him no longer. 
great if that trumpet sounds right now? Amen. Let's sing about it. One day the trumpet will sound for its coming. One day the sky with its glory will shine. A wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is people said amen let's leave the den with a shout with the glorious need news that it is finished and Jesus is Lord and also Sunday's coming and also one day he's coming back amen the Lord bless you